Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are going to be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. So today we are wrapping up May Mental Health Awareness Month with an interview and just great conversation with Dr. Mary Steinman. We're talking about parenting, mental health, and really just kind of going over different tools and thoughts on our children that may be struggling, whether it's in school, just anxiety, uh, suicide ideation, um, and self-harm. And Dr. Mary Steinman has such a great perspective and really highlights ways we can uh, have compassion for ourselves as parents while navigating some of those challenges. What did you think, Deanna? Well, I love how you say that. It's having compassion for ourselves and how to navigate because parenting is not easy and we keep saying if we wish our kids came with a handbook because they're all so different. Um, but yeah, I was so impressed by Mary and I think this is a great episode for everybody, for teens, parents. Um, I think everybody can use this. She was fascinating. I learned a lot. Um, Dr. Mary Steinman is a triple board certified physician in pediatrics, adult psychiatry, and child and adolescent psychiatry. Uh, she's an associate professor at the Huntsman Mental Health Institute at the University of Utah, so it was an honor to have her speak with us. She has a wealth of knowledge, an amazing perspective, and she really dials it in for us to where we can um, understand how to work with our kids, how to be there for them, how to be present and mindful. And it was just super enlightening for me. This episode is a wrap up of our May Mental Health Awareness Month. And we just want to warn our audience that the topics here address mental health and themes of self-harm, aggression, and suicide. If you or a loved one are struggling, please reach out for help. If it's an emergency, call 911 or contact the National Suicide Lifeline at one 800 273-TALK. Enjoy this episode. So today we're going to discuss mental health as it relates to parenting children that are suffering with suicide, um, different struggles with eating disorders, or maybe self-harm. Uh, our goal today is to dive into some ways that we can cope as parents while offering love and support to our children, um, whether they're teens uh, or even young adults that we're parenting. So we're going to visit with Mary Steinman, and she's going to share with us some ways that we can cope better as parents, uh, be mindful of our own mental health as we're working or parenting our struggling kids. I know this is going to be great. And Mary, I'm so, I'm so glad you're here because um, this is such a big topic and we all need to talk more about it. I think the good thing that's come out of 
this last crazy year um, is the mental health has been a bigger topic, don't you think? I mean, don't you feel like it's, oh, yeah. it's addressed more, people are talking about it, but mental health should be a course in school in every, I think, but anyway. Well, I think so. when we first talked, Mary, you kind of gave me this different perspective with mental health because we said, let's talk about mental health, and you said, okay, well, that's broad. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So let's, let's just give some examples then, just so that we can kind of decipher a little bit and dial in a little bit more. Well, I think when, when we talk about mental health, there, there's such a spectrum, right? There's, there's human behavior, um, which is such a broad spectrum of culturally sanctioned and unsanctioned practices. There's, um, when we talk about mental health, a lot of times people take that to immediately pathologize it and talk about mental illness. but. In my experience um, as a child and adolescent inpatient psychiatrist, a lot of times we we cross that line into normal behavior and does it count as mental illness or not? And and actually um, level of functioning and the impact of symptoms on one's life is, is oftentimes what helps us make that distinction between is this a bad day? Can I get through this on my own or with some support from family and friends versus is this something diagnosable or something that I need to actually seek help from a therapist or a psychiatrist. Yeah. And how, how do you know if you need to seek help or, I mean, for your children? I mean, sometimes it's very obvious. Sometimes it's a black and white, like something traumatic happens where they are self-harming. Um, and we instantly go in, which we talked about, you shared with us. I want you to share that on the podcast because I definitely think there's a misconception on if, if you are, if they have, are committing self-harm, that means they don't want to be here. And you kind of talked about that a little bit. Do you want to share? Yeah, there's, there's a broad spectrum actually as to when to reach out. I will say that it's, it's very individualized on families. Mental health is not something, at least in my upbringing personally, that we really ever talked about in my family. We were very much emotional stuffers and very stoic <laughs> with showing emotions. And that might have been one of my draws to, to practicing psychiatry, actually. Um, so the, the level at which families and children feel that they need to seek help is variable. And that's okay. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm in over my head. Or this is a completely different language. I don't even know where to start. And so a lot of what we do is actually, to some degree, educational. And if you need us for a short period of time to put some framework and context into what's normal or expected, and then you never need us again, that's great. Yeah. What you're describing is, is kind of at the other end of the spectrum, which are the patients that I tend to see in families that are in crisis, that are dealing with self-harm and suicidal thoughts or imminent risk of harm to self or others, which would yeah. be more of an inpatient setting. And there's a whole spectrum in between. One thing that we often don't think about when we're dealing with strong emotions or changes in mood or behavior um, besides situational stressors is could there be something medical involved and that's that's part of my training in, in pediatrics and and child and adolescent psychiatry is that overlap because sometimes there are medical syndromes that masquerade as psychiatric conditions and so it might be very prudent to seek help or just to kind of help exclude some of those possibilities and then there are those there might be situations in which um, 
maybe we've got just a, an everyday stressor or something's going on with a child with their friends or at school. And, and as a parent, it, we come to the table with our own emotional baggage and experiences from life. And maybe that situation is triggering for us. And that's okay to seek out help to, to kind of help navigate in that situation. So it's a really broad spectrum. So I have a question on that. Do you see, have you seen in your practice, people are, are more open to getting help? Instead of looking at it like a mental illness, like it's okay because people fought it for a long time. Like, oh, I can't do that. The stigma behind it. The stigma behind it. And I I don't feel like there is a stigma, but I'm sure there still is to a degree. But do you feel like people are more open to go, okay, I need help? I think as a society and a culture, we're shifting that way for sure. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely see that in, um, in play with my role in medical education, even with medical students, the numbers of medical students pursuing a career in psychiatry has just skyrocketed in part because of that acknowledgement of the importance of mental health as a piece of our overall physical and mental well-being, mm-hmm. um, which is a really great thing to see because it's it's a severely underserved area of medicine. It's, it's very misunderstood. Um, And so I think there's that openness in society to talking about it. I also think that there are so many levels of care and resources available now than when there were before that not everything needs to be inpatient and, and, you know, with imminent risk of self-harm or seeing a psychiatrist or going on medications some things are actually better addressed with education and therapy. And, and I think that our um, levels of care are increasingly reflecting that range. Well, that's encouraging. I feel like that's really encouraging because I know um, a lot of younger people, I feel, are embracing it and they talk about it. They talk about having a therapist like it's going to pizza on Saturday. You know, they're, very, they're not ashamed of it, which I think is a wonderful Thing. No, I agree. Um, you know, we wa- I'm watching my daughter, who it's part of her self care. She schedules her appointments, and she makes sure that she keeps them in line with where she's at in terms of maybe I only need it once a month, or maybe I'm going every other week. And sometimes I'll watch it kind of increase, and it's usually around really high stress periods that she's going through, and she'll, you know, have more appointments with her therapist. But uh, it's not always about her um, struggle with, you know, depression, which is situational, um, which maybe more um, has changed for her, but so I don't want to speak for her. But in the beginning, it was her coping with the loss of her brother. And now it's her just coping with life stuff and having, you know, another perspective besides mom, you know, give her an outside opinion of how she can navigate different things. And so... I think that's super healthy, and I, I agree. She's taught, She talks about it. She doesn't hide it. She shares it and is pretty vocal about it, which I, you know, kind of helps us as well because I don't have to feel that stress or worry. Is she talking to me? You know, she's not talking to me. Who's she talking to? I know she's talking to somebody. I, I think it's really wonderful that your daughter is able to, to take that step to be proactive and anticipate her needs. I, I think as a, as a medical system, 
we tend to be very reactive, right? There's a, a problem and, and our inclination in medicine, medical culture is to fix it. We may also do that as parents or have that feeling or that instinct to fix the problem. But what you're describing actually shows a tremendous amount of, of learning and resiliency. Your daughter's able to, based on that experience she's had before, and her connection and trust with you as a mom and connection with another responsible adult, in this case, her therapist, is able to kind of say, you know, for the most part, I'm doing okay, but I can anticipate those times where I might struggle a little bit more and I can reach out for help and be more proactive in my self-care and, and normalize her experience. And ideally, that's, I think, what we want people and our children to be able to do. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because, I mean, seriously, how empowering for her at her age right? as a freshman in college to know she's got, um, I just, it's so empowering because most of us don't have that. She has that support. Well, you know, I, I want to kind of touch on another part of this where um, if I were to go back four years ago um, before losing my son to suicide, I was guilty of not really truly understanding anxiety and what that looked like and depression and what that meant. Um, I, you know, was guilty of saying, well, I don't understand why you're so down. You have this, you play hockey, you drive a nice car, you, whatever it was, you know, I was, I was kind of categorizing everything into that should be in that something that you would feel okay about. I didn't understand that that's not what depression was. It didn't matter what all of that, having all of that, you know, I, I couldn't just put my way of coping onto him or my other kids because I did it, I'm sure, with all of them at some point. Uh, if I always say now, if I knew then what I know now, um, but that's not my story. So I, I try to do better as a parent and to be more um, mindful and less trying to fix it with these things and just listen and be supportive. I'm not perfect at it, but I, I, I'm at a different place today than I was four years ago. But my point is, you know, how do we help our parents kind of have that self-awareness and recognize, you know, when their child is struggling um, that we can't fix it? And can I add on to that just really quick? Because I think I totally relate to that. And I think a lot of parents do of you've got everything in the world. What the heck is your problem? I totally, we all can relate to that. Our way of coping when we were experiencing that was to power through or we're trying to think of things that we're grateful for to help offset maybe some of those emotions. But that's not always appropriate depending on the level of where they're at, whether it's depression or anxiety or um, I think I was going that. with recognizing whether it's, um, as a parent, we beat ourselves up because we do want to fix it. Um, I'm totally the fixer and I could never fix. So I love that you brought that up. But yeah, going into how having more patience and stepping back and being being okay as a parent to ask the question. So if parents are out there struggling and they've got teenagers or even now I know they're even younger. They can be, how young, Mary, do you start seeing? 
you know, I, I've seen children as young as five and six. It really? just depends. But what you're describing, I, I think, really blends in nicely to the understanding of, of mental health as, as very multifaceted area. Um, you know, you're, you're nicely describing kind of a lot of common perceptions of, well, I just don't understand, you know, you've got everything going for you and you, you've never experienced abuse or trauma. You've got everything, you know, to live for. I, I just don't understand. And that can be the tricky piece. Those are some psychosocial elements of depression that, that some children struggle with, some don't. Everyone is dealt different yeah. cards in life. Um, but also the, the complexity of the biology behind anxiety and depression. And we don't fully understand that, but there is a large biological component to men, many different mental illnesses. Um, some are better understood than others. The other thing you, you bring up that I think is important is from our own perspectives as parents, right? One, our children don't come out with a manual that says, here, this is your child's temperament and here's what to do for every yeah. situation. Every kid is different. We also have the hindsight of our, our own upbringing. A lot of parents rely on their experiences as children or their parents' parenting styles on what they do or their family cultures or their family values. And, and none of that's good or bad. It just shapes everyone's style a little bit differently. Yeah. So sorry. Did she answer your question? Cause I kind of diverted you, but no, you're okay. You... I'm, I'm thinking about the mother that is, that has a teenage child and she's witnessing this, struggle she, maybe she can't quite pinpoint what's going on but she's getting you know somewhat nervous about what this looks like and how do we help her with the tools of what she can how does she evaluate and how does she know when she needs to maybe take the next step I, I think there's a that's a really rich broad question um First off, I think the important thing to consider is as a, as a parent and as a mother, and I also want to acknowledge, you know, non-biological mother caregivers, right? Like grandparents and kin, you know, kinship placements, step parents, foster parents. I, I think this, this goes across the board. Um, you're the expert on your child. You know when something's off. And so it's important to listen to that gut feeling. Um, and you may notice things. And so, okay, maybe, you're, maybe your you know, spidey senses are tingling and you just know something is off. It's okay for a minute to kind of say, well, is this, is this a bad day or does this seem to be a trend? Sometimes that becomes very important. If I'm noticing a, an increasingly long string of bad days or behavior changes or mood changes that are just not characteristic for my child or they're not sleeping as well or they're off on their eating a little bit um, or maybe they're withdrawing from their natural supports, whoever that is. It right. could be friends or family, etc. 
then I think it's worth probing into. And I think it's okay then to kind of go into that, that asking. And I'm not meaning in asking like, how was your day? Because with a teenager, you're gonna probably get something like fine, good, whatever. But really to be more direct, hey, I noticed that you seem off. What's, is everything okay? What's going on? And opening that discussion that way. If you're really concerned, like for example, if you're you know, noticing changes in your child's personality that make you wonder about substances, or you're noticing you know, that your child's wearing long sleeves all the time in summertime, things like that that you're like, I'm worried about safety, then it's also okay to, to ask, hey, I know yeah. things have been stressful. I mean, are you engaging in, you know, self-harm or how have you been coping with that and opening the door that way? Well, I think as parents, we get, you know, we're so busy with juggling all of these different, you know, places in our life, whether it's work or, you know, being at home with multiple kids, whatever it looks like. And we get in the habit of, or the automatic, how was your day? Like you mentioned. Um, and, you know, is everything okay? And we've talked about this when we do, um, when we get together as parents and talk about the kids is, you know, how do we be more specific with our questions? And instead of just saying, how was your day? Who did you sit down with for lunch today? Mm-hmm. Who are you, who did you walk to class with today? You know, and yeah. try to get them to be a little bit more engaging. And then if they're still kind of pushing us off to be able to say, well, I, I can see you don't want to talk right now, but I want you to know I'm here. So if you go up to your room and you're going to do your homework, just know that I'm down here and I'm ready to talk if you have, if you feel like it. I think that's a great approach. Um, it it leaves you open. It reminds your child, I care about you. It gives that impl- that implicit message of you are not alone. I am here for you. I also would add that it's important to do that on the good days and the bad days. Right. So no matter good what, point. you normalize it yeah. because then you're not placing emphasis on I'm only checking in if I if. You're, you're not setting that expectation yeah. of I'm here for you if things are good or I'm here for you if you're struggling. I'm here for you regardless. Yeah. And I think that's an important message that that is unspoken but can be very, very powerful. So, I, God, that's so good. I have a question on for the parents out there who know something's wrong, like their gut's telling them, but they don't have the emotional capacity to know what to do because I think there's a lot of hopelessness. Sometimes people just feel like, especially if their child may be starting to do substance abuse, but there's a lot of emotional uh, emotional trauma that comes with that um, or disengagement, like their personality is changing. Um, and the parents want to help, but I think there are a lot of parents that don't know how or don't know what to do. So we can say, well, just start here, but what would you recommend for those people? Because I think sometimes it's, I've always said, I needed somebody to coach me how to be a parent for this child and for this child. <laughs> and like you said, they don't come with a book. But I truly needed, there were times I needed somebody to go, if you do this, this will help. And I didn't always seek it out, and I wished I would have, as we talked about. But is there something that parents, do you just recommend they should go to therapy and that would help them find a therapist or a support group or somebody that, there used to be the tough love. Do you remember any of those tapes? I'm trying to think of who, I still have, they were cassette tapes and it was tough love with your children. Meaning you can't just give them everything and you know, tough love is there's always boundaries and there's, 
you know, we got to be the parent, not mm-hmm. the friend, and et cetera. And I did listen to a couple of those that helped me because I probably leaned to be more soft. And so I felt like I wasn't being tough enough, setting the boundaries and the rules. And uh, But anyway, I just feel like there's a lot of parents out there that they feel something's wrong, but they don't know where to turn. Where do I go and ask a question? Where do I, what's a resource? Who can I talk to? This is where I think natural supports can be very, very helpful. Okay, so maybe maybe as a parent, so one, I can be laying the groundwork every single day that you can talk to me about stuff. How I model my communication with you um, on a day-to-day basis, even when you think your kids aren't paying attention, can actually be very important to shaping how open they might be willing to be with you when you are, when they are struggling, right? And so I often think about, okay, when when my child does something that, that really irritates me or I'm having a bad day myself and maybe my fuse is shorter, I need to be extra aware of that um, and try to leave that kind of regardless I love and care about you. Um, if I mess up and I snap or I'm irritable or I come off in a way that I'm not intending to, then that's a perfect opportunity for me to say, I'm so sorry. I'm having a rough day. Can I have a do-over? Yeah. And kind of say what I, what I mean, um, or or try it differently. Um, that can be a very powerful, validating and learning experience for the child too to to model how to manage that yeah. stress or that concern. Because a lot of times with with parents, you know, we're we're worried about our kids, right? Maybe that comes off, that anxiety often can come off as anger unintentionally. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to label that if that happens so that your child knows like, oh, they're not, mom's not mad at me. I, they're just, they're worried. That yeah. makes sense. Um, and so developing that trust is important regardless, right? You could be the most open parent in the whole world, but maybe your kid isn't in a place where they feel that you're the one to open up to. So that's where natural supports come in. Okay, I accept that, I don't love necessarily, but I accept that maybe I'm not the best person or the, the I don't feel like the safest person you can talk to right now. Who are those other people that we talk about that you can go to that I trust yeah. and we've got that agreement that you'll go talk to your aunt or your friend's mom or when it comes to safety, um, when I, for example, when I, when I'm getting ready to discharge a patient from from the inpatient unit, we talk about who are those people on your list that you can talk to that are part of your natural support system. It could be somebody at school or a school counselor or a teacher that you really like. It could be a friend or friends, parents, etc. Most teenagers want to put a bunch of friends on there, but one of those agreements is I want one, at least one responsible adult on there. Yeah, that I know will be responsible or that that has your safety in mind and we can start there and that's and if that doesn't work then I think it's okay to seek out support resources like the National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI, local parenting groups it doesn't always have to escalate right away into quote-unquote treatment yeah that's good okay that's good to know so you mentioned Deanna you know the tough love piece and I mean, that, that was a 
big part of parenting and I don't know if it is so much now but you know I know that it was continuously preached to me um, over the years that I needed to have more tough love so tell me if you can you know how do we determine when it's appropriate for tough love and when we're dealing with you know a child or teen or whatever we want to say and determine that it's whether it's necessary to have tough love or maybe they're acting out because of um, something that's going on you know internally that's causing that is that too broad? <laughs> I'll take a stab at it, um, actually, because what comes to mind with that with that tough love question is the first thing you mentioned is boundaries. Well, every child needs boundaries. Mm-hmm. They need to know, like our role as parents is is to help guide our children to learn how to be healthy, safe, functional, ideally, for most parents, moral adults, right? And so there are parameters and there are fences that we build and those are limits and boundaries. That's not necessarily tough love, right? And there is some expectation that at different developmental stages, kids are going to push those limits and boundaries. And so that's where consistency comes into play, whatever that means on your family structure, family values and all of those things. Those all vary per family. Um, but I, I think it is helpful to have some understanding or some expectation that, you know, most people, their brain takes up until 25 to fully develop and myelinate. Until that point, it's almost a developmental job to push limits and boundaries and experiment. I'm not condoning that I think, for example, substance use is a is a great idea. In fact, I am very concerned about teenagers and and brain development with Mm -hmm. certain behaviors. That said, I also think that it's important to know that that our children don't know that we're not going to completely reject them if they make a mistake either. And I think because children's brains and cognition at this stage in development tend to be more concrete that tends to be a big underlying fear of of our youth is well if i if i do something wrong then i'm going to get quote unquote punished mm-hmm. when really as parents i think a lot of times we we really do want to know are they being safe healthy legal right. etc yeah well and when you talk about you know substance abuse or alcohol in you know many cases you can, if you peel the layers back, there's some self-medicating that's taking place and being able to determine if it's just curiosity, um, you know, having um, experiences at at certain ages versus actual self-medicating. And that's a tough one to, you know, decipher. Yeah. Especially in that young age where you said it takes them usually till 25 and you've got this range between... 18 to 25 and you know 21 hits and now we've got oh well they're just you know being they're exploring what alcohol will say you know means but there's also that risk that they are self-medicating and not knowing the difference and what i think you're getting into something i think is important as we you know we talked a little bit about asking and 
being a little more direct with our kids when we have concerns and checking in with them and normalizing that process so that our kids aren't taken aback like, oh my gosh, they're on to me because they never ask how I'm doing, <laughs> right? The next step of that is listening. And it's, it's actually listening. It's not interrupting. It's not judging or refraining from judging. You can do whatever you want in your own head. We will. We're all human, right? It's not offering your opinion yet. It's figuring out, okay, I'm listening to my teenager talk to me about this party they went to and they tried alcohol and, oh my gosh, I can't believe they tried alcohol, but okay, they're telling me. And can I identify, is there a feeling underneath of that? Because sometimes what our kids say is a little bit less important than the context or how they're saying it. You might notice, for example, that all of a sudden the pieces start coming together. They're talking about this in this way that I also know they've been really struggling with school and they had a fallout with their best friend or a relationship broke up and they haven't been sleeping as much recently and I haven't seen them around as much. And the pieces start to come together. And maybe your child is just not, because a lot of kids aren't able to do this yet, maybe they're not able to articulate what that feeling is underneath, but that could be an important role for you as a parent to maybe help test out some hypotheses mm -hmm. once you're getting that narrative and starting to put things together with your own concerns. So really just being, being present, um, taking a few deep breaths and not reacting to what you're seeing or hearing and giving them get, taking that opportunity to really practice listening so that they can trust you whether it's something small like mom I got a D on my exam to not reacting to that and being able to be in a moment where they can come to you and say mom I had alcohol at a party I love that well, and sometimes it's easier said than done. So it's really, you've got to work, you've got to work on yourself as a parent. It kind of takes me back to this self-love book with Megan. Um, that when you are working on yourself, I feel like you have more compassion and you learn to be more accepting and more open. Because sometimes it's so hard to hear, as you know. Um, from my child, <laughs> my son, who would just say stuff, but he loved the reaction. And uh, I mean, he, he definitely, I think God placed him in my life for me to learn um, because he's got the biggest heart and he's such a, but now he's a dad and it's amazing to watch him in that capacity now and just see his whole he has a whole different view, I think, of his parents now, um, now that he's a parent and just the protection. But I said, man, just wait till they're teenagers. Um, I wish I would have had a little bit more. I feel like every topic we, we say this on, right, as we're on this whole journey of learning so much, but self-exploration. Um, but man, it's so empowering. And I think not being ashamed that you don't have all the answers as a parent. Because sometimes I feel like I should know this. I should be able to do this. Why can't I? Why can't my kids be like somebody else's? They look perfect, or and there's a lot of that pressure in society. I think, and all the the school thing, the whole college scandal, the my kids are like parents living through their children. There's a whole different dynamic now than what we grew up with. But 
What are your thoughts on that? There's an incredible amount of pressure on parents. Um, I, I think especially now my own personal views as far as social media, you know, we're, we, we see all the best in everyone else's yeah. lives all the time and it's plastered everywhere. When in reality, I think everyone is struggling and it's important to think about one, you know, there might be behaviors, honestly, that even, even with a lot of self-love and self-care, I am not okay with my underage child drinking alcohol in my house. And that is a perfectly reasonable limit to set. Absolutely. Um, how you say it might be more important and powerful mm -hmm. in, than what is actually said. The other piece I think that is important when it comes to, to parenting and self-love and self-care is, is recognizing that how I parent may vary from day to day and depending on my own life situations. I, I feel like we've talked a lot about where kids are coming from and that's super, super important because mm -hmm. situational stressors absolutely impact our kids' ability to, to be resilient and, and cope with stress. But they also affect how our response is on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And so it's important to take that time to consider, I'm pouring out my emotional cup for everybody else all the time with work and parenting and everything else I do. What am I doing that meaningly, meaningfully fills my glass back up so I've got that reserve to pour out, lengthen my fuse, give me that yes. patience to think about things be able to model all those ideal things like remaining calm in a situation when my kid just dropped a bomb on me, yeah. um, that, that self-care becomes incredibly important in, in helping us navigate our own responses because I'm far more likely to have the response that I would like to model to my child if I am also fulfilled and if I'm not burnt out. Yeah. I love all of the, <clears throat> excuse me, I love all of that. And I think, you know, to add to it, a minute ago we talked about that natural um, resource of who you can, you know, reach out to and talk to. And I would say for me, being able to be real with my friends and share the good, the bad, and the ugly versus trying to keep it contained and act like everything is perfect um, has been huge from my growth as a parent and as a person to be able to sit down at a table and go, okay, this, I won't name any of my children because then they'll be mad if I say it on the episode, <laughs> but you know, if I were to say, okay, this just happened and I have no idea what to do with this and this is what I did or how I reacted and, and being able to talk about it, that for me was, was huge self-care because the holding in and keeping it, thinking that it was going to be, I was gonna be shamed or judged as a parent was you know harmful to my mental health wow yeah it, it's there, there I, I I personally subscribed a lot to the the idea of toxic positivity and I, I <laughs> you know I, I think it's super important to have that outlet as a parent who are my supports that I can be real I could tell you when I became a mom I was floored with with how different you know i'm supposed to be this trained mental health professional and all of a sudden i'm coping with all of these feelings of wow i 
I don't love this 100% of the time. Is that okay? Is that normal? Am I an imposter, right? I have this training. I, quote unquote, should be this perfect parent who's, who's prepared better than anybody, arguably, for this. And that's just not the reality. And, and that's what saved me, both professionally and personally, is to be able to be real with people and have those emotions validated. And if you think about it, those feelings are very real for you. The feelings your teenager brings to the table, your child brings to the table, are very real for them yeah. as well, whether or not you understand where right. they're coming from. But that act of trying to understand yeah. goes a long way. That is so powerful. Thanks for sharing that because I think it's, um, I remember when my daughter was born and I thought for some reason I would see her and I would have this overwhelmingly motherly love and I would just be like, oh, you know, you would just have, and I didn't have it because I didn't, I looked at her and I go, I don't know who she is. Like it was, it was for a moment. It didn't last, but I, you know, you see the movies and you hear people talk about it. And I just remember going, oh my gosh. And I got overwhelmed at the responsibility and how beautiful, but now I have to take this beautiful baby home and oh my gosh, what do I do? And then I felt guilty that why didn't I feel this weird, this love people talk about? Of course, it obviously, I mean, I looked at her later and then I remember as I shared with you, I looked down at her and I remember thinking, I wonder if my mom loved me as much as I love her. And I had that awakening of, wow, I never thought about it does my mom love me as much as, you know, I love her. So, but you have that, you can have that uh, guilt so quickly that you think you're supposed to just think a certain way. And it's so not true. I don't know why we, why did we ever get sold that bill of goods? (laughs) I wish I had the answer to that. You know, in in medicine, we talk a lot about, you've heard the phrase practice of medicine, right? Yeah. We're, medicine evolves, our knowledge evolves all the time. And I really wish that, we looked more at parenting, like the practice of parenting, because that's what it is. Seriously. It's so true. Right. That is so good. Okay. I want to say one thing too, and you have a really good um, analogy I want, we want you to share, but I will say this. We are at different stages than you are of, of rearing children. I'm now a grandma. I'm way too young to be a grandma. You're a grandma too. I'm a grandma. <laughs> but we have adult children and we talk about the challenges, and not challenges, but just the complexities of having adult children because you worry still so much about your adult children. But I'm kind of, I'm inspired by you today because it really made me think when you say do over and, you know, when Juliana said that too, there's things I, I've t- I tell my kids now, oh my gosh, I wish I would have been perfect. I wish I could have been the best perfect parent, but I made, I made mistakes. But it inspires me to be more real going forward as a parent for the rest of their life. You know, and I hope I can instill in them. Anyway, I was just inspired by you talking today about, I want, I, I hope I can inspire my children and be, be a better role model of, hey, it's okay to not be perfect and, you know, have all, or act like you're perfect. Well, I think it's awesome that we can do that. I think, you know, we, even today with our kids being, you know, my oldest is in her 30s um, and, I can still practice being a better parent. I I still get to start from today and recognize, you know, some of my areas where I probably didn't do so well and, and continue to practice. And, you know, I do, and I watch myself doing certain things that I kind of was my habit of how I used to handle situations before. And I, and I get to watch myself still because my 30 year old daughters still need me. They still want to call and get advice or share stuff that I might not 
agree with and I have to still practice being not reacting, being present, and I'm parenting different. <laughs> and I'm 50, so I, I love that you know, you're bringing that up because I think we still get to start from where we're at yeah. and improve and practice parenting, as you have said so well. I was going to say one of your analogies that you shared with us earlier, which I think is, I'm, gonna, I'm sticking with it, but I'll let you phrase it because um, I'll put, let you put it in context. Regarding our emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, asking, being direct. We talked about listening. And then I, I, the next, at some point, right, we're going to want to respond. And what does that look like, right? And, and I like to start with validating feelings because those feelings, whatever comes to the table, that feeling is real for that person. Um, you know, one of the challenges, we're not mind readers, Doctors aren't mind readers. Parents aren't mind readers. We, we need to work on listening, trying to understand the best we can. Maybe we understand what you're going through and maybe we don't. And it's okay to say, I have no experience with this. I don't understand, but I would like to try. Tell me more. We invite that conversation with that response. We validate the feeling. I may not ever agree or condone the behavior, but there might be an underlying emotion. I can almost always validate that emotion. Wow, it sounds like you really felt frustrated when you were not sleeping and you tried some alcohol because you heard maybe that would help. That sounds like it's been frustrating. How can I help? Or what do you need? Or asking for more information in a developmentally appropriate way. And you can do this with all ages, little kids through big kids. Um, and adolescents and teenagers, um, helping to put words to feelings if, you're, if your child is struggling to. And then as we're kind of gauging the reaction, I kind of, getting back to that fixing the problem, mm -hmm. I, I don't see necessarily as everything is a problem needing to be fixed. Life is an ocean. Our, I, I'm big into scuba diving and I love the water. So I like water analogies. And, and the one that I come to the most is, with, with patients is our emotions swell and they sometimes develop into waves. And if we know anything about waves, they do eventually, even the really strong ones, even the ones that feel like emotional tsunamis where it feels like everything is devastating, they will crest and they will subside because that is the way it works. Our feelings are very much the same way. Even if we're in the middle of the wave and we feel like it's coming to an end, we need to somehow ride that out because the wave will crest and subside. And so a lot of what we end up doing, because I can't control the ocean, I can't control the wave, I can't always control the feeling, but I can learn how to surf and ride that wave out safely. And so as a physician, as a parent, that's where I place my focus, is helping my child learn how to surf. That might be through using coping strategies. That might be through asking more questions and talking and waiting it out with them. 
that might be giving them space for a little bit. Mm -hmm. If things are too intense on either end, maybe they're not in a place to talk or maybe I'm not in a place to talk, but we come back to it and make sure everyone's safe in the meantime. Mm -hmm. That may mean in more severe circumstances or situations, seeking help, whether that's emergent or, or making an appointment with a therapist, depending on severity. But, but helping your child learn how to surf because ultimately we want them to be functional, resilient adults. And if we get into that problem fixing mode, mm-hmm. we're not teaching them those lessons that they'll eventually need when we're not there. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts or self-harm, please know there is help. You can reach out to the National Suicide Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or NAMI National Alliance on Mental Health at www.nami.org. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 